Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth of a Savior who paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have both the keys of Hades and death. Revelation 1.18. If God sent his son to die for the whole world, then the whole world is propitiated. The propitiation for our sins is not ours alone, but the whole world. 1 John 2.2. You get to choose where you spend eternity. The payment has been paid. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. What do Buddha, Muhammad, and Krishna have in common? Well, they're the focus of some false religion among many that leads to death and destruction. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to the book of Revelation to focus on the simple truth and only one who can lead us to eternal life. We join him now in Revelation chapter 5 for a study titled, Worship Jesus. Let's listen. Many years ago, Thomas K. Beecher once substituted for his famous brother, Henry Ward Beecher, and many curious seekers were there. They had come to hear the renowned Henry Beecher speak, and therefore, when Thomas Beecher appeared in the pulpit instead of his brother, some started getting up and heading towards the door, sensing that they um, were disappointed. Being the substitute for his brother, Thomas Beecher raised his hand and silenced the crowd and said, quote, All those who came here this morning to worship Henry Ward Beecher may withdraw from the church, and all who came to worship Jesus may remain. <laughs> Pastors are servants of the Master, not greater than the Master. The only one to be worshipped is Jesus Christ. Today we have too much pastor worship, and men and women are following a man, and that's wrong. It's idolatrous. We're not to worship the man. We're not to serve the man. We're to worship Jesus Christ alone, ladies and gentlemen. Very, very important. As you know, a number of prophets saw God's heavenly glory, like Isaiah, Ezekiel, even Paul saw. He was caught up to the third heaven. He saw and heard things not lawful to be uttered. John the... Um, Apostle here, the beloved, also saw a vision of heaven as he was in the island of Patmos, as we've seen, uh, for the word of God and the testimony of his name. This is the first of a number of visions in the third major division of the book that goes from chapter 4 to chapter 22, as we've gone over the different divisions. This first group of visions um, runs from chapter 4 to chapter 8, verse 1, comprising of three visions introduced by the phrase in chapter 119 and 41, these things which will take place after these, the things of the church that have been finalized, chapter 2 and 3. We're going to see chapter 4 and 5, the church is in heaven. Chapter 6, the tribulation begins. Chapter 4 and chapter 5 comprise the first vision, which falls into two parts. In chapter 4, John sees the awesomeness of God's throne and the Father is worshipped as creator. That's chapter 4. In chapter 5, John sees the awesomeness of the God's Son who is worshipped as redeemer. And the word throne there appears five times. So very clearly, the Father's in four, the Son's in five. And we'll point this out. Let's focus on chapter 5 where... 
All the activity is directed to the Lamb for all he has done and accomplished to redeem the race of fallen Adam. Chapter 5 gives to us the vision of the scroll in heaven that must be opened by the rightful Redeemer. And it's marked by a threefold movement. Let me read here chapter 5, 1 through 14. He says, And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. When I saw the strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who was worthy to open the scroll and to lose the seals, and no one in heaven or in earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to uh, look in it, so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to lose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And then he came, and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp of golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, for you were slain, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of your every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then... I looked and heard a voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 times thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that is in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor, glory, power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Chapter 5 gives to us the vision of the scroll here in heaven that must be opened by the rightful Redeemer. Marked by the threefold movement. First, we have the vision of the scroll and God in verse 1 through 4. Second comes the vision of the scroll and the Lamb, 5 through 7. And then thirdly, the vision of the scroll and the worship of the Lamb, 8 through 14. The vision of the scroll and God comes first. Notice in verse 1, the apostle John saw God on his throne. A position that represents power and authority. This majestic glory of God's throne is magnified by the angelic presence. Notice that in the 24 elders that we see in chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. They're before him there. The worship of God by the four living creatures declaring holiness and the 24 elders casting their crowns at the feet of his throne being worthy as creator is also an affirmation there in chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. Remember, chapter 4 comes before chapter 5. Chapter 4 is the foundation. Now, he who is sat on the throne is God the Father. Uh, Though it is not stated, it's implied by virtue of being distinct from the Lamb in our chapter here, verse 5 and 6, and also previously. There's a distinction made between the Father and the Son through both chapters. You can see that. Daniel 7, 9 This is the identity of the Ancient of Days by Daniel, if you remember. 
Uh, listen to him. He says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garments were white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels as burning fire. So way back there, Daniel in the Old Testament, he saw the Father and the Son distinct from each other, and he sees the same scenario here. Now notice he saw the scroll in the right hand of the Father. This again marks the place of privilege, majestic power to rule, and delegated authority. Everything comes from the throne of God. He gives the permission, not the permission. But we have to be careful that we never conclude that God permits the evil or the author of the evil, but he allows this evil world to run its course. Okay? So be careful you don't make God the author of evil or sin. He had in his right hand seven stars uh, of his mouth went for the sharp two-edged sword, we're told. His candle was like the sun shining in its strength in chapter 1, verse 16. Now notice the scroll had writings inside and on the back or the front and the back. Now notice the scroll has seven seals to be opened by the rifle heir able to meet the conditions of the particulars revealed in these seven seals. So in other words, certain conditions were put on there and once you open the first seal, if you can meet all the conditions, then you can move on to the second seal and so on and so forth, okay? These were the requirements. Now, a Roman will requires seven seals and seven witnesses. The number seven, as you know, is key in the book of Revelation, symbolic of completeness. There are seven spirits of God, seven churches, seven lampstands, seven stars, seven angels, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven thunders, seven heads, seven diadems, seven plagues, seven mountains, seven kings. So seven is very, very important and key to the book. Now John, notice, does not tell us what the scroll is, nor do we have any other passages that would indicate the meaning here of the book, okay? There are many interpretations, but the most common that are probable are probably three, and I'll give you those. First, that the scroll contains the very judgments poured out from chapter 6 to the end. Second, that it is a book of life that is mentioned in the book of Revelation many, many times. Thirdly, that the scroll is the title deed to the earth the interesting thing is that this is not stated in the context that it's the title deed to the earth. But it's taken from the Old Testament of Ruth and Boaz. And, um, but we know that the new interprets the old. Now, there are parallels that we can put forward. And I'm, I'm not quick to use the word type so much because a type, a true type, is something that is very clear in the Old Testament to be fulfilled in the new. Now, we would never know what was a type unless it's pointed out in the New Testament. You follow what I'm saying? If Paul and Peter had not shown us the fulfillment of the Psalms and different things, we would never have found that as a type in the Old Testament. So a true type is something that is declared in the Old Testament, but it's revealed in the New, pointing back in fulfillment of it. This is the type, this is the anti-type, the fulfillment, okay? I don't see that in terms of a title deed. I don't see it in Genesis. I don't see it anywhere else. Now, it could be, but I, I don't see it uh, completely. Now, Jesus interprets for us the content of the book that he was going to show John. And it is this. It's recorded in chapter 1, verse 19 and 4.1. It is this. The things that must occur after these things, these are the things contained in this scroll. Jesus tells us this. 
the complete and final judgment of the day of the Lord, the establishment of the kingdom by the rightful heir on the throne, who is Jesus the Messiah, even unto the eternal state, from chapter 6 to verse 22. So what's in this scroll is what follows from chapter 6 to 22. This is the content and context of the scroll that takes place here. Jesus said this, listen, Luke 18, 7 through 8. Jesus said, And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? The answer is no. During the tribulation period, people are not going to believe that God's going to avenge all the evil. Jesus said, yes, I am. We're going to see John weeping next. Because he, would, he didn't see one who would be able to bring forth the judgments. Now notice verse 2 through 4. The apostle John heard the inquiry of the one to open the scroll. The one he saw is described as a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. We don't know who he is. Some believe it's Gabriel. It could be. Gabriel has a big mouth. He's always sharing things. The proclamation is in the form of a question notice. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to lose its seals? The word worthy has the idea of proper weight corresponding to the book, equal balances. It's stated in verse 2, 4, 9, and 12. In fact, the Old Testament word for glory, kabod, has the idea of weight in contrast to the shallowness and lightweightness of the false gods compared to God. The answer is only he who can meet all the requirements. He who can loose or unfasten the seals, one only, as we're going to see Jesus Christ. Now, the law of redemption in the Old Testament gave the right for the goel, the kinsman redeemer, if you remember, if you were studying the Old Testament. This included redemption for, uh, to redeem one who sold themselves to servitude. They would serve for six years, the seven they would be released, but they could be redeemed within that time by a family member. The redemption of property and land is also one of the benefits of a goel. And Ruth, again, was redeemed by Boaz, uh, fulfillment of that of the property. So we can see how the scroll can be seen as a title deed to the earth, as God gave Adam complete authority. But then the assumption is made that Adam forfeited the earth to Satan by the fall, when in fact Adam forfeited the authority, not the earth. The earth belongs to God. Nowhere in Scripture do I ever read that the earth belongs to Satan. Now, he's called the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air in this fallen age, but the earth doesn't belong to him. God's the creator. It belongs to him. It's his. Look at verse 3 and 4. The apostle John saw the horrible dilemma of no one found worthy to open or read or to look at the scroll. In verse 3, no one was found within the complete scope of all in existence. Everything is included here. In heaven, no angel. In whatever rank or file they belong to. In earth, no one living. Under the earth, no fallen angel or demon in hell. No one, anywhere. The response of John is in verse 4. Notice, he wept convulsively, seeing the hopelessness of this scenario. There's tension in heaven. Not from God's perspective, not from the angels, from John. No one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or look into it to establish the kingdom. A picture is of utter hopelessness for everyone. No one's around. You remember um, Isaiah, when King Uzziah died 
Isaiah 6, 1 through 5, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one six wings. With two they covered their face, two they covered their feet, the two they flew. And one cried out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Yahweh of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven, that the whole earth is full of the glory, of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, where my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Yahweh of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven. He is the ultimate authority and power. And so this is the vision of the scroll in heaven. Hopelessness. But again, this is from John's perspective. Notice secondly comes the movement of the vision of the scroll and the Lamb, verse 5 through 7. In verse 5, the apostle John was told there was a solution to the hopeless dilemma. The elder is a contrasting hope from John's hopelessness by the word, but. He must be one of the 24 elders before the throne. Now notice the elder comforts John by saying, do not weep, as if to say, stop your convulsive weeping. Look at the throne. God's on it, and he's not biting his nails. The elder proclaimed the identity of the one who was worthy. Notice that. But the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who all the prophets spoke about, Shiloh, Genesis 49, 9 through 10, the scepter of Messiah. The lion represents the divine kingship of the Messiah here. The root of David, quoted from Isaiah 11.10, it says, There shall come from a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The dual prophecy given to David in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13, of Solomon, the short-term fulfillment on the throne, long-term the Messiah, the genealogy through David in Matthew and in Luke, it's there. Notice the elder proclaims he has prevailed to open the scroll and to lose its seven seals. Unto us a son is born, a son is given. Isaiah 9, 6-7, Revelation twenty two sixteen. 16, the root of David. The word prevail there, nikao, is in the era's historical past fact. He did conquer as the God-man. Proclaim in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, virgin birth. Isaiah 7.14, behold, a virgin shall bear a son. She call his name Emmanuel. Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the son made of a woman under the law. Wow. Now notice his, his prevailing represents the requirement needed to open the scroll. Now verse 6, John, the apostle here, saw the solution of hope for the dilemma. John saw the one sacrificed for the sins of man. John looked and behold, don't miss that little word. In other words, hopelessness, and all of a sudden, boom, solution. There it is. In the midst of the throne, as in the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders that either were sitting or prostrated. One stood all of a sudden, a lamb as though it had been slain. The Lamb is now the focus of the heavenly scene in the midst of the throne. Everyone is beholding him, him alone. The four living creatures, the elders, all have their eyes on him. The apostle John cannot take his eyes off of him. This is the solution. This is the hope. <laughs> None other. 
Now, the paradox is that the lamb is slain is usually laying down. The lamb is standing alive and ready to act in full authority. And here's the kicker. Who's ever been intimidated by a lamb? (laughs) The tense is the past perfect, the fact of being slain, being dead, but now alive, the propitiation for our sins, not ours alone, but the whole world, 1 John 2, 2. If God sent his son to die for the whole world, then the whole world is propitiated. You get to choose where you spend eternity, not God. The payment has been paid. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have both the keys of Hades and death. Revelation 1.18. Notice the word slain. Isaiah and Zechariah tell us that his wounds are on his body. Isaiah 53.7. Zechariah 13.6. When he returns, he has a glorified body. He is a God-man, sit at the right hand of God right now. At the first sight of Jesus, it's very possible we'll see him in his wounds. Isaiah 53, 2 says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we seek him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He told Thomas, Put your hand here. Look at my hands. The wounds. Notice John saw one who solely was vested with the authority to do what? To judge. That's what's going to be happening here. John saw the lamb having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth, we're told. Seven horns represent complete and perfect power. Seven eyes represent perfect knowledge. All things, nothing escapes him. We have seen the seven burning lamps before his throne in Revelation 4, 5. Seven spirits of the sevenfold work of the Spirit that we saw, the Holy Spirit, in chapter 1, verse 4, indicating Isaiah eleven two. Not seven Holy Spirit, but the sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit that are indicated there. These are in relationship to the righteous judgment to fall on the God-hating earth during the tribulation and great tribulation. Look at 7. The apostle saw the lamb executing the transaction from the father. The Lamb came and approached the throne of the Father. The long-awaited plan before the foundation of the world, the long-running reign of sin and rebellion was about to be brought under judgment. And he took the scroll out of the right hand of the Father who sat on the throne, the submissive role of the Son to the Father for the plan of redemption had been accomplished. Never believe or think that the submission of Jesus marks inferiority. It marks effectiveness for the plan of God. Notice the leading role for judging man was now being put into effect. The one able to do that is the focus. The Greek conveys a dramatic action. This is a climactic scene, the entire goal. He is the one worthy to enact the judgments of God and the redemption of everything and to set up the kingdom. He taught his disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as in heaven. Pastor Xavier Reese, with a glimpse of the role of the Lamb of God, Jesus the Savior, in God's plan of salvation, as we see it prophesied in the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation. And you can request a copy of today's important study titled, Worship Jesus. 
It's available on CD for just $4. And by the way, you'll be receiving the entire study, including portions our limited broadcast time doesn't allow for. So again, the title you'll want to ask for is Worship Jesus. Now, you can also request the entire series, The Seven Churches of the Book of Revelation. It includes 10 studies in all, packaged in one CD album for only $27, or single MP3 disc for just $10. You'll receive all 10 of Pastor Xavier's messages covering the first five chapters of Revelation. Once more, that's The Seven Churches of the Book of Revelation 10 CD album available for $27 or an MP3 disc for just $10 delivered to you upon request. You can contact us by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. And it's helpful when you tell us the call letters of this station when you contact us. Scripture is clear that the penalty for sin is death. The good news is that the price for our salvation has already been paid. Find out how and why that ultimate sacrifice was made on your behalf when you join Pastor Xavier Reese right here on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com